Curtin Cade mornings, not just on the radio. It's a podcast, too. Don't let their crazy make you crazy. Best title for a book ever. Absolutely. Our good friend Laurel Slade Wagner, who is a biblical counselor and an author. Uh, her practice is in uh, Tampa Bay. She's been a good friend for several years. Every time she is with us, we can never take all of the calls because folks just love her. And her specialty is narcissism. Yes. But she's good when it comes to counseling uh, for, for any kind of relationship issue. And you can tell that she loves Jesus. Yes, and she really cares. She takes really time with each person who calls in. So let's go ahead and uh, share with you some of the uh, the conversation we have with Laurel recently. Uh, we know that you'll benefit from from listening. Uh, let's go ahead and start it. Let's see, where do I want to start it? How about right here? Hi, Laurel. Welcome back. How are you? Good. How are you guys doing? Thank you so much for having me back. Don't Let Their Crazy Make You Crazy is Laurel's yeah. first big book, How to Stay Sane and Strong When the Narcissist in Your Life is Trying to Control or Abuse You. Yeah, because uh, that's kind of gaslighting, isn't it? Narcissists, people don't know what, you know, what's going on. Yeah, Laurel, uh, gaslighting, it's from the movie Gaslight, right? right. I mean, it's uh, basically, describe it for those who don't know what it is, and maybe they're like, oh, everybody talks about it, what does it really mean? Well, it, in culture has kind of stolen the word and diluted it, but it is a form of abuse. It's a form of, of coercive control where the narcissist tries to make the victim doubt his or her sanity, strength, goodness. You feel like you're losing your mind. You just you feel shocked all the time if you have somebody who's chronically gaslighting you. It, it's meant to make you feel so bad about yourself that you start to isolate and uh, disconnect from other people so you're more dependent on that narcissistic person, and then they have more and more control. So it's it's just so toxic because it just erodes a person's sense of worth, sense of self. They don't even know how to make decisions anymore. They're chronically anxious from uh, they're co- they're constantly braced for attack uh, in their own home if they're married to someone who's narcissistic or in their workplace if they're working with someone who's narcissistic and does a lot of gaslighting. It's just it's so hard on the victims. You know, we got a call uh, from uh, Sherry. Yes. She called us, and I mentioned to her, Sherry, you have to be listening on Wednesday when Laurel Slade Wagner is with us because this does sound like something that uh, is right up her alley. So I've got this clip I want to play for you from Sherry. And then when we, uh, you know, when we hear that, I want to get some thoughts from you, Laurel. So here's Sherry. I got a divorce um, around 2017, and I've been patiently waiting, you know, for God to uh, allow me to have a husband. Mm. Um, but recently, I spoke with my ex-husband, and he put me back, I allowed him to put me back in a place of where I know God brought me from. Um, and it was just very discouraging because I thought I had forgiven him for everything we had went through, but I guess I just learned that I just been dealing with the pain and have not forgiven. I thought I had forgiven a long time ago. Don't like this space that he put me in because it's always as if I am 
the bad or the terrible person. And I learned through my divorce that that's not me. Along with the forgiving, I guess I felt like I had to deal with him. Mm-hmm. And I struggled with dealing with him because of his character. So um, I guess that's the difference, that I can forgive him, but I don't have to accept the that's way right. he talked to me or treat me. You know, Sherry, what your your, your ex-husband is, is saying, and, and uh, you're believing what he's saying is true. I mean, it's if he says it's loud enough and long enough, it's almost like, wow, is it really true? And you have self-doubt. Is Am I describing that correctly? Yes, correct, because forever I felt like I was a mean person because I was always upset. Mm. But I learned that I am not a mean person. I learned that through my divorce that I love to laugh. I learned that I love life. Mm. But when it comes to him, it is... (sighs) Yeah. When it comes to him, it's as as if I am the worst person in the world. Laurel, some thoughts on what Sherry was sharing with us. My first thought is my heart breaks for her and all those who have experienced or are experiencing what she's going through. Uh, She said so many things that were indicative that she was healing and that she was seeing herself more and more through God's eyes. And I praise our Heavenly Father for releasing her from that marriage so that she could experience that kind of freedom and knowing who she is. Uh, Sherry, I would say also, there is a big, big difference between the Christian choice to forgive and reconciling. So, we can make the Christian choice to forgive, which is a release. We're just saying, you know, Lord, I've done everything that I can, and this person still will not change. I'm just releasing him into your care. That's forgiveness. It's a release to God. And then whatever happens with that person, that is between that person and God. But as far as reconciliation and accepting all of their behavior, that's not what what God says in His Holy Word. That's not what He wants us to do. So, reconciliation is based on repentance. It's based on a contrite heart like David had in Psalm 51. It's a taking of ownership. It's a setting up systems so that they won't hurt you in that way again. It's listening patiently to your pain. It doesn't sound like he is repentant at all. So, he might be regretful and sorry for himself, but he's not repentant, and therefore, we don't reconcile with somebody. We use that redemptive tool of separation until there is repentance, and sometimes that lasts a lifetime. So, there's tons of scriptures that support this. Um, God Himself, Jesus, they, they utilized that redemptive tool of separation and instructed it in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. So, I say, Sherry, you are so strong. I praise God you're getting in touch with your preciousness. You can tell that there's still pain there, and that's a process. Being able to um, move forward and have it not hurt so much, that's going to go away over time, but that's going to take time, and it's going to take experiences with loving, Christ-filled, non-narcissistic people. So, put yourself out there, get connected 
with a church home and other groups that can really just love on you and continue to show you your preciousness so you can heal even more. Mm, that's so good. To the phones we go. Oh, man, we're loaded up. Let's yeah. go to uh, Jenny in Las Vegas. Hi, Jenny. How are you? Good. Thank you. Good. Thanks for joining us. By the way, from Las Vegas, that's cool. You're listening on the app? Um, yes, I was. Awesome. What's your question for Laurel? I'm just having troubles moving forward. I feel like I know what I need to do, even as far as daily routines, to get myself to, in a place where I am making decisions to move forward and things like that, but I just feel frozen and stuck. Oh, well, thank you for calling, Jenny. It is a process and, and being patient with yourself because I don't know exactly what you've been through, but I do know that having someone who's biblically foolish or what we currently call narcissistic, it leaves so many deep wounds and and impacts in your life. And so, getting with a good Christian counselor who can unpack all of that and and can be there to offer truth and to offer support to you is one way to quicken the healing process. Um, if you don't have a counselor, you can go on the American Association of Christian Counselors website and put in your zip code, and it can lead you to practitioners within your area. The other thing I would say is if you can get into some kind of group, um, if you've been through a divorce, there's divorce care, or there's a, a codependency group through the Celebrate Recovery Program at a lot of the larger churches, you're going to be around other people who have been through what you've been through and who are they're all there with the purpose of healing and getting stronger and seeing themselves through God's eyes. So, getting connected as much as possible is going to quick, quicken that process for you. That makes sense. Hey, Jenny, would it be yeah, okay if I'd... we just kind of paused for a moment and, and just prayed for you? Would that be okay? Yeah, I'd love it. All right. Laura, why don't you lead us in prayer for Jenny? Mm -hmm. Oh, Heavenly Father, I lift up precious, precious Jenny to you, Lord. I don't know exactly what she's been through, but I know it's been hard. I know that it's put so many wounds in her heart and in her mind, and I just ask more than anything that she sees herself through your eyes. I ask that you uh, continue to strengthen her and give her wisdom and discernment and f give her the courage to fill her life with safe people, people who can be your ambassadors and represent your love to her, Lord. I ask that you just flood her life with those kinds of people. Give her just sharpened discernment of who is safe and who isn't safe, and just give her perseverance to keep going on in this healing process. It's so hard and takes so much effort, and sometimes it seems unfair that us victims are the ones doing all the work and the narcissists aren't. And I just ask that you you help her stay steadfast in the healing process. And amen. we ask all this in your powerful, beautiful name, Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you. You bet, Jenny. You're welcome. Thanks for listening from Las Vegas. Blessings to you. Hang in there. Thank you for taking some time to listen to this episode of the Curtain Cape Mornings podcast. We always welcome a review with your thoughts and comments, and please feel free to subscribe and follow us as well. Let's go to Anonymous in Polk County. Hi, Anonymous. Good morning to you. Good morning. 
Good morning. What's your question for Laurel? Trying to discern between someone who is narcissistic or not. So this individual is a parent, and when she's great, she's great, and when she ain't, she ain't. And when she ain't, that's when those narcissistic characteristics come out. But does that necessarily mean she's narcissistic? That's a great question because culture has, has just like the word gaslighting, culture has stolen the word narcissist. And so I think we're all a little confused. It is an actual psychiatric disorder. Narcissistic personality disorder is a psychiatric disorder, and it's a pervasive pattern of certain behaviors. Um, they have a grandiose sense of importance and a high, high need for control. They require excessive admiration constantly. So sometimes they'll engage in constant criticism. They have high reactivity, quick defensive triggers. So they can't tolerate being told no. From a biblical perspective, they have what's called cognitive rigidity. They're not open to looking at things from a different perspective. So, um, it, it says in Proverbs fifteen twelve, a mocker resents correction, he will not consult the wise. So, they're not collaborative, they're not open to looking at things from a different perspective. They, uh, in Proverbs 1, 7, it says they despise wisdom and discipline. So, you say that this person is, is good when they're good, but when they're bad, they're really bad. If that person is not willing to take ownership and make some changes so that they stop that toxic behavior, and when by toxic behavior, I mean they, they will um, constantly condescend, they may rage, they blame shift, they derail, they take you down these rabbit trails, they gaslight trying to make you feel like you're the one at fault all the time, you're bad, you're crazy, you're too sensitive, you're too needy. Um, they try to get you to make decisions out of fear, obligation, or guilt. They treat people with a chronic lack of empathy and with indifference. They they make unilateral decisions. They they just don't want to acknowledge another person's personhood or try to collaborate. So if that if the person in your life is rigid in their thinking and they think that their behavior is acceptable, or even if they say, well, I'll make changes and then they don't follow through on that, that's actually stonewalling. So, they're just getting you to stop confronting them. That Those are all toxic behaviors. Those are all indicative that there might be a personality disorder and that that person is unwilling to change. That's what I mean by cognitive rigidity. They're just unwilling to to look at things from a different perspective. And then and they people do feel wrong. crazy and stuck. They no, don't yeah. think they're all. wrong, do they? They yeah. really no. are yeah. convinced. They can't, they can't and that see their almost wrong. convinces you because they're right. so They're so confident. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what keeps people stuck in relationships with them because they are so confident. They exude that confidence. So you start to say, maybe that person's right. Yeah. Self doubt. You know, maybe I am crazy or maybe I am too sensitive or needy or it's wrong of me to ask for this. Joining us from, let's see, Waterville, Ohio, is Krista. Hi, Krista. How are you? I'm good. Great. We're glad to get a call from Ohio. That's cool. What's your question? Well, my question isn't for me, actually. Um, it's for my daughter, who's been married 13 years. She works for the Catholic Church, and she's married to this guy <laughs> who constantly puts her down, puts the children down, 
it's time for her to get out. She knows it, but it's like she doesn't know how to get started. She doesn't know what to do. Mm. And the family, her church members, her coworkers, everybody knows it, but you know, it's like we've prayed and prayed and prayed for her and he's ruining the children. Um, it's just really tough. So it's like, does Laurel have any ideas what the first step is, how we can help her take the first step? Because from there, I know God will take it, but mm-hmm. it's just a matter of getting her, uh, you know, like pushing her out into traffic. <laughs> Not really, yeah. but you know what I mean. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. It's so hard. And it's so hard as a mom watching yeah. your daughter can, and your grandchildren continue to suffer, but God doesn't want her to suffer. And when I'm making these recommendations, I, I want everyone to know that it's we're not choosing one person over the other person in a marriage. So we're not free trying to free her at the expense of her husband. The, these recommendations are the most loving thing to do for him, so that he can understand his need for Christ and and get mm-hmm. to that contrite heart so right but what i recommend first is that she prayerfully sit down i call it a joshua 24 15 plan and i have all of this in my first book don't let their crazy make you crazy so the first the first thing you want to do is invite him into a plan of change the joshua 24 15 plan i call it so the that scripture says, if serving the Lord is undesirable to you, you are free to choose what gods you serve, whether it's the gods of your ancestors or the gods of the living land. But as for me and my household, I'm going to serve the Lord. And so, you invite him into a plan of change. Um, I recommend that she write it out um, and she give it to him and say, you know, I need you to respond with this to this within 48 hours. Um whether you're going to go forward. And so, she needs to outline all of the behaviors that are toxic, his constant criticism, uh, maybe his unilateral decision-making, his lack of putting the kids' needs first. Whatever her needs are, write that out. And then, if he refuses to engage in a plan of change, that's where she has to prayerfully figure out how she can employ that redemptive tool of separation. So, that means just like God pulls back His presence when people are hard-hearted, and that she needs to do the same thing, not as punishment, but to give Him time so that He can miss her, so He can spend that extra time and energy trying to figure out what is going on and how to do his part in making things different. And that looks different for everybody. Sometimes it's an in-house separation if people can't afford to separate physically. Sometimes it's an out-of-house separation. Um, It just looks differently for everybody. So, and then I would take it, do what Matthew 18, 15 through 17 says. You know, it says um, that we confront the person who is sinning against us just between the two of us. If they won't listen, we bring the witnesses. So, is there anybody that he will listen to? Anyone in the church? Uh, is she in counseling? Is there a counselor that could also confront him with her? Um, so, the witnesses. And then, if the if the pastor gets involved and confronts them, that's the next step. And then, the final step is treating him like a pagan or a tax collector, which is separating and then not talking to him about the relationship, not uh, 
not engaging in any kind of dialogue except necessary functional items with regard to the kids or the house or things like that. So once again, it's not punishment. This is loving him because he needs to learn how to love her God's way. So it's mm. it's for both people. It's for everyone in the family, including the kids mm. and both spouses. Krista, thank you so much for your call and thanks for listening uh, from Ohio. Appreciate that. Rachel in Miami. Hi, Rachel. Um, from the time that I First of all, I, I just recently started listening to you guys, and I I heard uh, Miss Sherry speak earlier about her divorce and stuff, and it kind of pushed me to call, and you guys are like, call for someone who, you know, maybe won't call. Um, my main question was, how do you identify when you are continuously choosing a narcissistic person in your life? That's the main question. And um, if I may add before you guys answer that, I wanted to say that, um, especially to Ms. Sherry or anyone who's listening, um, the main thing about dealing with narcissist people, what I've learned is that now you will need therapy in order to, you know, put your, your mindset back where it needs to be, mm-hmm. or else you can get spoiled from the whole situation yourself or be affected where you're no longer yourself. And that's very hard. But the boundaries, they have to stick. You have to really build boundaries that works for you where you don't allow someone to continuously take advantage or to um, continuously having you to do things that make you uncomfortable. And, of course, with prayer and everything, um, I believe that God can lead us. How do you notice the narcissistic people that we keep choosing? Thank you. That is a great question. And so, and that's a very common phenomenon, believe it or not, that if we have somebody narcissistic in our lives, we, it causes so much skewing of how we view ourselves and and how we interact uh, that it spreads to our other relationships. And so, we have a tendency then to act in this very submissive, passive way in relationships with healthy people, and we can turn those relationships into kind of an imbalance of effort and respect and things like that. And then there's also something called repetition compulsion, where we we kind of look for narcissists uh, at an unconscious level, because we we don't really have an idea anymore what healthy is. And so, we have to really understand how we need to interact in a relationship in a healthy way so that we don't recreate the dynamics that we had with that narcissistic person. So you want to make sure in a relationship that you have all of these different mutual things. You need mutual effort, mutual sharing, mutual care and concern, mutual respect, and here's the big one, the mutual ability to listen and to repent if something's going wrong and and take ownership and try to move toward making it better. So, whether it's a friendship, a a work relationship, a romantic relationship, you want to have all of those different mutual things. And there's also has to be mutual honesty and openness and transparency. And so, if one person is making all the effort and doing all the relational work and the other person isn't, that's an imbalance that needs to be addressed. Or if one person is oversharing all the time and the other person doesn't get any time to share 
what's going on with them. That's an imbalance. Or if one person is constantly saying sorry um, and trying to make changes and the other person isn't, that's an imbalance. So you want to look for all of those kinds of imbalances. And then I loved what you said about getting into counseling because you have to kind of learn how to do that. And the counselor can be very, very helpful to give you specific language. That's where my heart really is to help people understand how to interact with people who are biblically foolish or narcissistic because there's just not a lot there's a lot of information out there now about narcissism but there's not a lot of information out there about how to interact with them yeah especially from a christ-centered biblical point of view i mean that's that's crucial for us as believers well laurel the clock is saying i gotta let you go oh sounds great thank you so much for having me Thanks for listening to Curtain Gate Mornings Podcast. Please take a minute to follow, subscribe, and review us. And no matter where in the world you are, you can listen to us live from 6 to 9 a.m. weekdays on the Moody Radio app.